Well, good morning again. Good to see you. And uh, if you don't know me, my name is Josh, and I'm one of the pastors here. Welcome to all of you also who are joining us online. Really glad that you can be with us today as well. And, you know, I'm excited about what the Lord's up to and uh, just the generosity of, of, of uh, his people here, of you. And I hope that encourages your heart as well, just to see uh, God's faithful provision, his being totally in control. And again, if, uh, if the Lord would lead you, we invite you to be a part of that. If, if you cannot, um, that's okay. And nobody's gonna come twisting your arm or knocking on your door, but I would encourage you to pray about it and consider uh, how you might be able to be a part of, of those things for God's glory, for others' good, and uh, for your own and our own joy. So, uh, hey, with that, we are in a series as well called Grounded, and we're working through our statement of faith. And uh, you may or may not know, if you're new, uh, Wabasee Bible is part of the Evangelical Free Church of America. And uh, as, as part of the Free Church, the EFCA is just simply a group of uh, autonomous and interdependent churches uh, that share the same statement of faith. And so uh, we work together with other like-minded churches and uh, each church is different in its own context, but we believe the same things. You know, the church I I grew up in, often on Sunday mornings, we would read uh, from a creed, you know, out of of the hymnal or out of a liturgy book, uh, like the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, things like that. All of those, by the way, we believe and uh, would hold to and, and their truth of orthodoxy according to scripture. Uh, but really our statement of faith is kind of our, our creed, so to speak. And so uh, each week we've been just reading uh, each part of our statement of faith as we go. And so let's do that again this morning. Would you just read with me? You can either read it from your handout or it'll be on the screen here. Let's read together. Uh, we believe that Jesus Christ is God incarnate, fully God and fully man, <clears throat> one person in two natures. Jesus, Israel's promised Messiah, was conceived through the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He lived a sinless life, was crucified under Pontius Pilate, arose bodily from the dead, ascended into heaven, and sits at the right hand of God the Father as our high priest and advocate. Well, uh, we're gonna explore that today and we're gonna do it by working through Hebrews chapter one, just the opening verses of Hebrews. So you can turn there if you like, but uh, while you're doing that and uh, before we get going, let's let's pray. You pray with me? Father, thanks for Jesus. And uh, Lord, thanks for your great gift to us in him, your grace and your mercy and your goodness, your salvation and new life. Uh, Holy Spirit, um, it truly is all about Jesus. And so as, uh, as I teach these things, these truths and uh, this doctrine, would you uh, speak to and through me? I'll let my words be your own. And uh, would you uh, encourage our hearts, uh, uh, turn our eyes toward Christ, that we would be enamored with who he is, grateful for what he's done, and uh, that we would leave changed and encouraged. Father, thank you for Jesus. He's, he's our only hope. Thank you. We pray all this through him. Amen. 
Well, hey, uh, Hebrews chapter one, if you got your Bible, it'll be uh, to the right, towards the back. It'll also be on the screen here. But uh, the writer of Hebrews opens his letter saying this, long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He, speaking of Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he, Jesus, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. One of the things we see right away here in Hebrews chapter one, this is just a a core passage on Christology, on who Jesus is, is that Jesus is God's word to us. He's God's word to us. You know, uh, the apostle John, when he starts his gospel, he says, uh, in the beginning, he starts it just like Genesis, but he says, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God, and he's speaking of Jesus there. Uh, He's saying that Jesus was there in the beginning and that he is God and that he is God's word to us. Well, the writer of Hebrews says something similar that long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. I want you to zoom in here for a moment. God spoke. Really what he's saying here is that God has, has revealed himself. And God speaks in a number of ways. He speaks and reveals himself in a general way to everyone. I mean, uh, Paul tells us in Romans chapter one that really people have no excuse. When you look at creation, when you look at the created order, when you look at the, the wonder of, of even our, our biology and how we're made up, it all shouts designer and creator. And so God has, has revealed in a general way that, that he exists, that there is a creator. But thankfully, he doesn't just stop there and leave us to wonder, well, who, who is this creator? He also speaks to us in a specific way, which you would call then not general or generic revelation, but special, specific revelation. Uh, when God reveals himself in a specific way, he tells us more of who he is, not just that he exists. He tells us his name, that his, his personal name is Yahweh, that his son, Jesus, Jesus is God and part of the Trinity, that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. He reveals specifically who he is. He speaks to us and he's spoken to us through the prophets. And you know, uh, God has spoken to us in, at many times, many times throughout history. I mean, from the very beginning, God was speaking, or God was, right? When God created everything in Genesis 1, how did he create it? He spoke. He spoke creation into existence, and he speaks over and over, revealing who he is. He speaks directly uh, to so many people, Adam and Eve, to Noah, to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, to Moses, to to all of God's people at Mount Sinai. They would have all heard his voice speaking at Mount Sinai. 
to Joshua, to, to David, to, to Solomon, and, and all the way down through the line, through all the prophets. God spoke it many times throughout history. And you know, he, he still speaks today. He speaks to us. He speaks to us uh, through his Holy Spirit and he speaks to us primarily through his word. His word's recorded for us, for him to speak to us. We talked about that last Sunday. But he's also spoken not only many times, but in many ways, the writer of Hebrews says here. Think about the ways that scripture records and that maybe uh, you, to some degree, have even experienced God speak. He speaks audibly. He speaks through uh, his written and inspired word. God speaks visually at times when you, when you look at creation or you look at beauty and you, you recognize the majesty of who God is and his grace. He speaks through preaching and teaching his word. Uh, I can't tell you how many times I'll have somebody tell me, Josh, that, and you were talking right to me today. And I'm thinking, actually, no, I really wasn't, but I'm glad God did. You know, that's, that's God speaking to us, isn't it? And uh, he speaks through testimony, through sharing stories. And you know, he speaks creatively all throughout scripture, through some of the prophets. I mean, Jeremiah always seemed to have something in his hands. He was uh, messing with clay one time as as God talks, you know, he sees the potter. And uh, Isaiah, did you know Isaiah one time? uh, You can look this up, Isaiah chapter 20. Isaiah actually went preaching and prophesying naked to demonstrate the the nakedness of the people spiritually before God. Don't worry, I'm not gonna illustrate that for you. You can go read about it in Isaiah 20. But, but God speaks creatively and long ago, many times, in many ways. He spoke to our fathers, he's spoken to us by the prophets, but in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. When the writer of Hebrews says these last days, he's really referring to any days after uh, Jesus' ascension, his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, and, and, and ultimately looking forward to his return. And uh, so really for the last 2,000 years, we've been in these last days and we're moving steadily and more quickly forward towards the day of his return. We're closer to it now than ever. Uh, and we don't know if that's a couple weeks, a couple decades, who knows? But he is returning and we're in these days and during these days, he's spoken to us by his son, his son whom through he created the world. Well, uh, you know, God has spoken in many times, many ways through the prophets and ultimately through his son. And, and it reminds me a little bit of a prism. Are you familiar with prisms and how they work? A prism uh, works kind of like this. It's just this small piece of glass, kind of a, a triangle usually, and you, you can shine a light through it. And when the light hits it, it begins to refract. And so as it comes out the other side, it refracts and each wavelength of light actually refracts at a different angle. And so when it comes through the prism, it it breaks that uh, unified white light into all these different colors of the rainbow. When you see a rainbow, that's what's happening through the prism of the raindrops, that light refracting. Well, you know, you can also, at the same time, you could shine all the colors of light the opposite way, and a prism will also unite all of those colors into just white light. Well, you might think then of God's word and the prophets as a prism. 
And, and all the prophets throughout the Old Testament and all of God's written word in different wavelengths, in different ways, with different color, is speaking to Jesus and who he is and speaking about him. And in Jesus then, God has spoken now through his son where all of that comes together in Christ. You know, uh, even at the very beginning of scripture, we saw this uh, last Sunday, the very first gospel we see in Genesis three, uh, God promises to, to send a fix for the sin of Adam and Eve. Before he ever addresses them and disciplines them, he tells them, I'm gonna fix what you messed up. And there's gonna be a one coming, an offspring from this woman who's going to, to save you, redeem you, rescue you. He's gonna crush the enemy. And I'm gonna fix this whole problem of sin that you've brought into the world. And the rest of scripture then from Genesis chapter three is this rainbow of tracing who is this offspring of this woman? Who is this one who's gonna fix it? And all throughout the Old Testament then, we start to see these, these promises come together and find out who is this one true light of the world. Well, uh, in our statement of faith, we, we proclaim and believe he's Israel's promised Messiah, that, that Jesus is that one who was promised. And we, we see it in a lot of different ways, right? We see it in, in Luke chapter 24. And Jesus said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, speaking about him. Wasn't it necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And so beginning with Moses and with, with all the prophets, Jesus interpreted to them all in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. In, in all the different rainbow of the prophet's proclamation and, and the word of God, that all of it pointed to him. When, when he says beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he's talking about the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible. And, and again, with the woman at the well, he, he says this in, in John chapter four, uh, to the woman he said, I, uh, the woman said, excuse me, to him, I, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who's called Christ. And when he comes, she said to Jesus, he, he's gonna tell us all things. And, and Jesus declared, he said, I who speak to you, that's me. That one you've read about, one you've heard about, it's me, it's me. Uh, Paul says to the church in Rome, uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ, which he promised beforehand through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures. Uh, do you see? All of it weaves together to point to Jesus. God's spoken in many times, in many ways through the prophets, but now in these last days, he speaks to us in his son, in Christ. And to the point that Paul even writes this to the church in Corinth, he says that all the promises of God, the whole rainbow of his promises and of his word have their ultimate yes in Jesus Christ. They all point to him. That's what, Paul, that's what he's saying here. And so uh, Jesus is, we believe, friends, is God's word to us. And scripture confirms that. You know, it also tells us, uh, even right here in, in our passage this morning, that Jesus was the creator, that when God spoke and created all things, we read multiple times in the New Testament that Jesus is the agent of creation. Jesus is the one doing the creating. Not only that, but he's the savior of the world. The Bible tells us that he will be the judge. 
that he's the son of God, that he was sent. And, and not only this, but that he is himself, in fact, God. See, in these last days, God's spoken to us by his son, Jesus, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. And he, speaking of Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. He's telling us Jesus is fully, completely God. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. That's God, right? Holding all things together. And then uh, we read he is our savior. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He's seated on the throne. So friends, uh, Jesus is God's word to us and he is fully God. He's fully God. Uh, you might think of it this way. What we, what we would say about this is Jesus is uh, 100% God in every way. He is fully God. Uh, you know, I, I mentioned already, John says in chapter one of his gospel, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. Jesus is part of the Trinity. One God, three persons, Jesus is God. And in him, Paul tells us, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Should I say it again? Jesus is God. And, uh, you know, you might be thinking, okay, Josh, you know, I can understand maybe why you land there, but I don't know that Jesus ever claimed to be God. I mean, aren't we just kind of ascribing something to him that he never really claimed for himself? Well, if, if you've heard that, uh, you've been lied to because Jesus repeatedly claimed to be God. Repeatedly, multiple times. In fact, the reason Jesus was murdered and crucified on the cross was because he wouldn't quit claiming to be God. That's why they crucified him. Uh, look at uh, some examples here uh, throughout Jesus' life. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because not only was Jesus breaking the Sabbath, he was breaking all their rules, but he was even calling God his own father making himself equal with God. Not just a servant of God, but equal with God, saying he was God. Later in John's gospel, John chapter 10, <clears throat> Jesus says this, he says, I and the Father are one, the same. And so as soon as they heard this, the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. And Jesus said to them, he's like, well, I've shown you many good works from the Father. Of, of all the good works, of all the miracles, all the things I've done, which one of those are you planning to kill me for? And look at what they say. They answered him. They're like, it's not for a good work we're gonna stone you, but it's for blasphemy because you, being a man, declare yourself to be God. You make yourself to be God. You're saying you're God. That's why we're gonna stone you. Blasphemy. And, and every time <clears throat> Jesus was asked about this, he never backed down from this claim. It's why he died on the cross. It's absolutely why. And the reason he never backed down from it is because he was and truly is God. Completely, fully. 
In Revelation, uh, Jesus says this. He says, I am the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Well, this was something that God declared of himself in Isaiah chapter 44, verse six in the Old Testament, where he said, I'm the first and the last, I'm the beginning and the end. And now Jesus contextualizes it to uh, their context and says, I'm the alpha and the omega. That's, that's this little symbol up here, by the way. There's, there's kind of the thing that looks like an A. In Greek, the first letter of the Greek alphabet, which people in this time would have spoke widely, was alpha. And the last letter in the Greek alphabet is this little horseshoe looking thing called Omega. Well, if Jesus had walked uh, Northern Indiana in the 21st century instead of Palestine in the first century, he might've said it like this, I'm the A and the Z. Or if he was in Canada, I'm the A and the Z. I'm the A and the Z, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Jesus was saying he is God. He is eternal. He has always existed. See, when Jesus became human and put on flesh, we're gonna talk about this in a minute, he didn't begin to exist at that point. Jesus has always existed. In fact, uh, we don't have time today, but I could show you multiple places I believe he shows up in the Old Testament. He has always existed because he is God and he's fully God. He shares all attributes of deity. You know, uh, in saying that he's the Alpha and the Omega, like today he might say he's the A and the Z. I wonder, it makes me, maybe it makes you too, I don't know, it makes me think of Amazon. You're like, huh? You ever looked at the Amazon logo? Do you know what it's about or why they have it like this? You can get everything on Amazon from A to Z and it'll put a smile on your face. Literally, look at it, that's, like, that's the marketing behind their logo. Well, the next time that blue truck shows up at your house this week, maybe you'd be reminded that actually Jesus not only has everything from A to Z, he is the A and the Z. He is everything. He is our all in all. He is God Almighty and he brings true joy. Jesus said it, he said, I'm the Alpha and the Omega the first and the last, beginning and the end, he declared himself repeatedly to be God and he is God. Well, not only is Jesus fully God, he's God's word to us who is fully God and he became fully human. He became fully human. Now, this is really important to note uh, because Jesus, who is and always has been and always will be fully God, became fully human. He, he added humanity to his deity. Now, uh, Christianity and God's word is the only thing that teaches God became human. There's many religions that teach that humans became gods, uh, but only Christianity teaches that God actually put on flesh and became like us. Uh, an example of, of a religion that teaches uh, God or that, that man became God would be a Mormonism, Jehovah's Witness, others. Mormonism is one example though. Uh, maybe you've heard at times that, uh, well, it's the same, we worship the same God, right? Is this a little different? Well, we don't. Um, Mormonism would teach that, uh, that, uh, that a man, 
Uh, God the Father was once a mortal man who continually progressed to become a God, an exalted man. And God then today, as we think of him, the eternal father, the father in heaven, he's the exalted, perfected, and glorified personage of God uh, in tangible flesh and bones. And that Jesus then was not conceived as we would confess by the Holy Spirit and as scripture would teach, but that, that this uh, man who became God came and had sexual relations with Mary and Jesus was conceived. And then Jesus even himself uh, became the first and highest of all the spirit children. And uh, Lucifer, Satan, would have been another one of those children, according to Mormonism, one of uh, Jesus' brothers, according to them, not according to scripture. And uh, Jesus progressed then, according to them, by obedience and devotion to the truth in the spirit and in the spirit world until he became God. You hear that? Until he became God, which according to them would have taken eons of time. problem is the Bible doesn't say that, doesn't teach that. And if that was the truth, I, I would much rather believe that God became human, that he entered into our world to fix what we messed up, not that somehow I've got to get it right enough and be good enough to somehow gain perfection, because I don't know about you, but I know my heart, and that just ain't happening on my own. Christianity is absolutely unique in teaching that God became human. Well, uh, theologically, we then believe that God is, that Jesus is fully God who added full humanity to his deity. And in becoming human, he never let go of his deity. He never ceased to be fully God. He simply never availed himself of that deity other than at the times the Holy Spirit worked through him in it. Uh, you might think of it uh, like this way. Actually, before we go there, let me just uh, give you kind of some of the theology behind this, the theological term. What we're saying here is that Jesus is 100% God and that Jesus is, according to scripture, 100% human. And theologically, some of you may know this term, if you don't, uh, here it is, it's called the hypostatic union. Now that's not like some part of the Millennium Falcon. That's actually, that's a theological term describing how Jesus is both fully God and fully human, united in one person. So the hypostatic union would teach then that Jesus is one person with two distinct natures that are complete, that never intermingle, and uh, that when Jesus lives his life then we read in scripture, uh, he lives fully from his humanity. And as I was starting to say, his deity is veiled. He never avails himself of it other than when the Holy Spirit would work through him in it. So Jesus possesses every attribute of deity, his omniscience. But when he puts on humanity and lives as a human being, he doesn't avail himself of that omniscience other than when the spirit works in him. He's, he's fully God, he's he's omnipotent, he's fully all powerful, but in his humanity, he never availed himself of that power unless the Holy Spirit worked through him to perform miracles and such. You might think of it like this. Do you have a credit card? You keep it in your wallet. Ladies, you might keep it in your purse or something like that. Uh, well, you might have that with you all the time, right? And you have a lot of spending power right there. 
but you never uh, avail yourself of it until you pull it out of your pocket and lay it down and use it, right? Well, Jesus, you might think of it this way then, he, he had and is and was, always is and always will be fully God, but in his humanity, he never uh, played the God card. He never availed himself of that power apart from the Holy Spirit working perfectly through him and his humanity. And this is really important because then that allows Jesus to be my perfect substitute on the cross and yours. He's not just like uh, this, uh, this guy who, well, you know, I mean, he's God, Josh, no wonder, right? Yeah, but he lived fully in his humanity to be our perfect substitute on the cross so that all of God's wrath could be poured on him and not on us. It's incredible. Well, this truth, uh, if you wanna read more about it, you can look up the Council of Chalcedon, uh, 451 AD, the Chalcedonian Creed. Um, but the church father Augustine said that Christ added to himself which he was not, and he never lost that which he was. He added humanity to his deity, and I believe he will hold to that deity and, and maintains that, or excuse me, that humanity as well as his deity uh, for all eternity future. So when we see him in heaven, We'll see him in his humanity as well. Well, let's continue to our statement of faith and even in our passage here in Hebrews, Jesus was conceived through the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. Uh, we read in Matthew, now the birth of Jesus Christ, when he puts on flesh, his conception and then his birth took place this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, so engaged to him, before they came together, so before they were married, before they had uh, any intimacy together, uh, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Now, if you're Joseph and suddenly your bride-to-be shows up and, yeah, I'm pregnant, really? I mean, what would you do if you're Joseph? Uh, well, being a just man, he was unwilling to put her to shame because he loved her, he's, he's a good man. He resolved uh, to divorce her quietly but as he considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph and said, Joseph, son of David, don't fear to take Mary as your wife for that which is conceived in her, she didn't cheat on you. It's from the Holy Spirit. God did a miracle. He, 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 he is the one who caused Jesus to be conceived in her womb. It's from the Holy Spirit. And this is important for a few reasons. One, it points to the fact that that uh, Jesus is fully human. He was conceived in Mary's womb, but also he is different than us as well, right? He was conceived by the power of God and he started his life not in the line of Adam, but sinless. We also read this, a prophecy from Isaiah, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Not only was Jesus conceived by the Holy Spirit, but behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. It was prophesied that, that Mary would give birth to the Messiah and that she would be a virgin. It would be God's power that created this and made this happen. Not somebody who just uh, was like us and declared themselves and declared themselves to be God because they were good enough. No, this is the work of God. And not only was he miraculously conceived, born of a virgin, but he lived a, a sinless life. 
He's the only, perfect, only person ever in human history to live a perfect, sinless life. I mean, you might know a lot of good people, right? But as the saying go, they're a good person, but they're not perfect. Except Jesus, he was and is. And uh, he lived a sinless life. The Bible clearly teaches that Jesus lived this life and it's the basis for him being able to be our perfect substitute on the cross. See, because in our sin, we deserve and earn God's wrath, but Jesus never earned that wage and yet he paid it on the cross in our place as our substitute. And there's a lot of evidence I walk you through for Jesus' sinlessness, but let me just give you one. I'm the oldest of four boys, right? I've got three younger brothers and uh, many of you have siblings as well. And uh, Jesus as well, in the New Testament, we read that he had uh, at least two younger brothers, two of those who wrote uh, books of the Bible, James and Jude. And then uh, at least two sisters, because it talks about his sisters, plural. And uh, Jesus would have been the oldest in his family. And Jesus, during his earthly ministry, when uh, things are starting to take off and people are following him, there, there's an account where his family comes to him and they're like, hey, we need to bring you to come home, Jesus, I think. You've gone a little cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. I think you need to put the whole church thing away for a little bit. Uh, why don't you just come back with us? And, and Jesus refuses. But then later, after his resurrection and ascension, two of his brothers write books of the New Testament in which they declare him to be almighty God and their savior. Now, my younger brothers, I think, uh, probably look up to me to some degree in different ways just because that's what happens at home as an older brother, right? I don't think any of them would ever tell you that I was perfect, let alone God, let alone the savior of the world. They would balk at that in a hurry, right? Let alone write books about it. Yet that's what Jesus' family does. That's what his siblings do. Clearly, he was unique. If his own family declares him Lord, declares him sinless, we can have confidence in that. And not only this, uh, Hebrews later, uh, the author writes, um, uh, for we don't have a high priest, I have Isaiah, I have the wrong reference here. This is in, in Hebrews. Uh, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are. He, he's like us in every respect. He put on humanity, full humanity, just like you and me. And he's been tempted in every way like us. You know what this means is, is that Jesus in being like me, he can relate and empathize with the struggles I face in life. When, when I'm sick, when uh, there's sorrow, when there's pain and loss, when, when people have betrayed me, he can empathize with that in his humanity. He can also empathize with injustice. He can empathize with, with, with joy and with celebration. When, when things are good and, and, and life is great, Jesus empathizes with that in the same way and rejoices with us. He's like us. It's good news. He became like us, but he's also very much not like us. Because while he was tempted like we are in every respect, he's like me, unlike me, he endured that temptation without sin. He's fully God. He never sinned. He never did wrong. We spoke of his family. Can you imagine growing up with a big brother like that? As soon as something goes wrong, mom's like, hey, who did this? Jesus is like, wasn't me. 
He never sinned. He's perfect. And, and friends, uh, he's God's word to us. He's fully God who became fully human. Uh, and after then, in his humanity, making purification for sins, dying on the cross for us, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Uh, see, he became human in order to save us, in order to take our place on the cross, to be our perfect substitute we confess that Jesus died and was buried. We'll talk more about this next week. But Paul writes this, that I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins and that he was buried. Saying he was buried tells us that not only, he wasn't like just Monty Python, mostly dead. He died. And he was wrapped in hundreds of pounds of, of ointment and burial cloths and and put in the ground, put in the grave. And yet, we also confess that Jesus arose bodily. That same body that was bloodied and, and brutalized and tortured and murdered, he rose from the grave. Uh, Paul says, I delivered what is of first importance. He died, he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And not only this, but he appeared to Cephas. And then he appeared to the 12. And then uh, Paul tells us he appeared to more than 500 people at one time. And when Paul's writing this, he's writing to him and he's like, and some of them are still alive if you wanna go talk to him about it. They saw him. Now 500 people at once saw him. That's a lot of people to keep on the same page about a resurrection you're making up, isn't it? That would never happen. Then he appeared to James and then all the apostles, and Paul says, last, is, last of all, as one to untimely born, he appeared also to me. He did that on the road to Damascus. Well, uh, we confess that, that Jesus ascended then into heaven. He sits at the right hand of God the Father. We, we read that here in our passage in Hebrews this morning. And, and last but not least, he is our high priest and advocate. He intercedes for us with the Father. He, he prays for you and for me. He advocates for you for me. There's one God, Paul writes to Timothy, and there's one mediator between God and humanity, the God-man, Jesus Christ. Uh, John writes, uh, little children, I'm writing these things so that you don't sin, but if you do, you've got an advocate with the Father. You've got somebody who's gonna go to bat for you. Jesus Christ, the righteous. Friends, there's a lot of truth to unpack and a little over a half hour this morning. We could, we could do this for days. Um, but the reality is just you need to know that the truth and really the core and the bedrock of our faith and, and of life is that Jesus is God's word to us. He's fully God who became fully human in order to save you and me. So if you've never trusted him, trust him. If you have trusted him, take confidence in this fact that he loves you. So we're gonna sing uh, towards this end and towards this truth here as we close and call it a morning. But uh, let me pray before we do. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that uh, he did uh, live the life that I cannot and will not ever be able to, that he died in my place on the cross and he paid the full penalty for my sin. Father, give us, uh, give us joy 
and confidence in that fact. And Father, I pray for my friends who've maybe never trusted you, that today might be the day they would. And a friend, if that's you, you need to know Jesus is fully God and he became human to save you if you trust him. And you can do that as a simple act of faith, just uh, confessing, believing in your heart that, that Jesus is the Lord, confessing with your mouth, God raised him from the dead, saying, Jesus, I believe, save me. And he will. Father, thank you for Jesus. I pray all this through him. Amen. Well, hey, as we close, uh, we're just gonna stand.